welcome back to Brunch Talks with Mandy Rose, a place where we discuss today's social issues, highlight some local women, and what's brunch without your favorite drink and some funny stories. So go ahead, pour yourself a glass, and let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to Brunch Talks with Mandy Rose. Um, today, I actually have a very special person on the episode, my best friend, Carly. We've known each other since first grade and pretty much been best friends ever since. Um, she is actually a special education teacher up in Oregon, so I wanted to bring her onto this episode so we can talk about her teaching, but also right now, it's a real interesting time with COVID. So I wanted to get her input on how she's handling all of that. Um, but first, everyone, Carly, want to say what you said? Hi, I'm Carly. Uh, I have been teaching for 11 years, and I've been a special educator for five years. Um, I'm out here in Gresham, Oregon, so I know everywhere in the world is a little bit different how teaching is going. So I'll give my experiences of how we are here in Oregon. Nice. All right, so let's just jump into a little background with you first. Um, what, um, where did you go to school first where you are teaching and then what grades have you taught? So well, far? as far as like college? Yeah, college, sorry. Um, so I got a softball scholarship to go to a college in New Mexico. Well, first I started at Citrus College. I did Citrus College for one year. And then I went to New Mexico Highlands University in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yep. That's what <laughs> and um, definitely an experience. Um, if anybody doesn't know where Las Vegas, New Mexico is, you should probably Google it because you'll be blown away by how small it is. Um, and then I moved to Oregon and I started teaching um, first grade for six years. And while I was teaching first grade, I decided to go back and get my master's. And so I got that at Concordia University in Oregon, which is now actually shut down. So mm -hmm. They shut down Concordia, so luckily I did it when I uh, could, I guess. And so I did that online while I was teaching. So I was teaching full time and going and getting my master's um, full time. And then I decided that I wanted to be a special educator. Your master's was that in special education, or was it just teaching? Yeah. No, my undergrad is in elementary education, and my master's is in special education. Okay. And would you say that you always knew you wanted to be a teacher or was it something developed over time? No, I totally knew that I wanted to be a teacher forever. And it was probably because of um, Alicia. Oh. I, um, Alicia is someone who um, I grew up with and she's older than I am. And she kind of guided that like she wanted to be a teacher and then she actually became a teacher. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally becoming a teacher because she did it. And so I kind of like thank this experience to her because if not, then who knows what I would have ended up doing. Okay. So what do you think made you switch over to special education from just teaching like first grade? Was there like a calling or yeah, so 
I love teaching first grade. I mean, I would totally do it again just because like I miss having like a classroom of like kids who like love on you and like, you know, oh my gosh, I love my teacher. I just want to be with my teacher. Like I miss that aspect of it. But when I was teaching, I had a couple of students who were pretty difficult um, that I was trying to manage a first grade classroom while trying to manage these students. And my special education teacher at that school was not very helpful. And I felt like I was kind of doing the job um for him and then I was like man maybe this is something that I should look into and then I started looking into it and realized that people actually don't really want to be special education teachers it's like something people don't really want to do there's a real high turnover rate in special ed and um so then I was like "Ah, gosh I have like this niche that kind of is like do it and I don't feel like a lot of people have that, right? Because if so, then this field would be having more people do it. And so I was like, I have that tiny little niche. I should go into it and I should see what I can get myself into. And here I am five years later and loving it. So um, you've done things too, because I know like you've told me um, you've always volunteered like at the, I think it's, is it the Special Olympics that Oregon has? Yeah, we do like little things. They do, they, they don't have it as much anymore now um, because people aren't like funding those activities which is super unfortunate but yeah I've always had like a kind of a passion for um, kids with disabilities and you know helping that community of kids and so kind of drived me to be here where I am today you know yeah no I definitely see it and I've always thought that of you like for one I think it takes a special person to be a teacher but then to also go in and teach special ed. I think that's even, like you said, it's a total different niche of somebody special to do it. So yeah, yeah. for sure. I thought that was great of you. Um, so we are entering in this whole new era of distance learning, which even though me and you both personally done it during college, um, this is new for everyone. And so, what has like really changed or affected you so far as being a teacher? And I think that I think that the biggest thing with education is relationships, right? Your students can't res- like they can't learn from you if they don't have a relationship with you, if they don't trust you. And I feel like on a video, you're taking that away from them. Um, even if you have a previous relationship with them, like that's the biggest thing that you can do for a kid is to build that, you know, rapport and relationship and showing that they trust you. And when you're on a video, it's just not as personal. And so I think that it's taken that away from them, you know? Do you find that, do you think that's even more important too? Because you're dealing with kids at such a young age, like highly, what is that? Impressive? What is that word? Just my my students or like all students in general? In general, just like that age group, like you will probably make a bigger impact on them than maybe like older on. Mm-hmm. And now they're being thrown into this world of my teachers on a screen. Yeah. I mean, I just think about the little babes, like the kindies who have never experienced school before and they're walking into this virtually and they have no idea what to expect. And it's just super unfortunate that they're getting like that first school experience taken away from them. Um, I mean, and it's none of our faults, right? Like this is just the world that we're in, but I just feel so bad that they aren't getting that experience that everybody else has gotten during their, 
you know, mm-hmm. time, but they're going to be the kids that people will talk about. And they're like, I started kindergarten 2020 virtually. Like, <laughs> so I think like eventually they'll have a story to tell, but I'm just feel really bad for them right now. Makes sense. Cause even my nephew just started kindergarten and it's funny cause we're like, how's school? And he's like, Oh, it's fine. But he can't really be like, well, what'd you do today? Or like, did you make any friends? Like, I'm sure he might make friends on the computer screen, but like you said, it's different. So it's interesting. Um, so being that you do work with special education kids, do you think that's even more difficult with online teaching? Like, because a lot of that stuff, you're not doing your basic, like, hey, everybody take this book home and like book report. I don't know if you do that with that young, but your teaching with them is different than normal teaching. So how are you like, how are you doing lessons right now? So I teach K through five. So I do all the grade levels at my school. And um, what you need to know about my students that I work with is that most of them are two to three grade levels behind, right? So already that they're at a dif- disadvantage and then going into teaching online, most of them don't know how to read. Most of them don't know how to navigate um, technology. Yeah, some do, but it's already a struggle in person. And, and, you know, that small group one-on-one instruction that we have is so crucial for them because they are in a place where they feel comfortable, where they're able to perform at their levels and not have people look at them differently, right? Like a lot of the times I feel like our, my kiddos that I work with, they, they don't want to show themselves in their classroom because they know they're behind, right? Mm. And so that makes it really hard, especially during distance learning, because if they can't log into a meeting and they can't be with their class or they can't get that small group instruction because they don't know how to utilize the tools that they have, it's making it really difficult for them. So my percentage last year when we started in the spring, I maybe had, um, I had 37 kids on my caseload last year and I had maybe five that logged in. Wow. So you still technically have those 37 so my, well, all of my fifth graders left and um, I didn't get so many kindergartens. I currently have 22 kids right now. Um, and we'll see how that goes. We don't start until September 14th here. Okay. So I don't technically have kids yet. Um, but we'll, we'll see what that ratio looks like. Um, Cause in the spring, it was very, very low. <laughs> I'm forgetting that we've actually already kind of had Mm-hmm. a bit of school like this like I'm thinking like oh it's starting I'm like no you already had to do this back in the spring so that's crazy um did you find that the parents are more involved or less or like are they making it more difficult because I've heard stories from different people like how some parents are making it kind of worse almost because they're joining in on the class but I get it like they want to see what's going on but yeah and so I've been making phone calls and a lot of parents are super negative towards this experience um, because they feel that it's not the right um, fit for their kids or whatever, which I totally agree. I am 100% on board with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that this is a shitty situation. Sorry if I'm not, can I say that? But I think it's a shitty situation for everybody. And I just want people to know that like, if us teachers could have a choice, we would have the kids in class. Like it's not, 
And I feel like we're getting reprimanded, right? Like parents are just like, why aren't you allowing our kids to come back? And it's like, it's not me. <laughs> like, I would love to see their beautiful faces every single day, but I don't have that luxury, right? Yeah. And another disadvantage that I'm seeing is I serve a high population of Latino kids. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the parents speak only Spanish. And if I can't communicate with them and we're sitting on a screen and we're looking at each other, um, that is also a disadvantage, right? Like the parents want to help their kids, but we have that barrier that's not allowing us to communicate to help each other, right? So is your school running into issues of like, um, just because I've seen stories or whatever of um, parents or families maybe not having the capability to provide the needs for their kids to get online like either maybe they don't have a computer at home like is your school doing anything to provide that for some or yeah our district is giving every student one-to-one -one device so every um the opportunity to pick up um chromebooks are happening this week and next week okay. um so every single kid in the district will get a computer they will get pencils, papers, glue sticks, scissors, all the, like, the curriculum books that um, we would do in person. They're picking up a bag with all of that stuff to take home. Okay. Um, the issue that we're running into is not enough internet. Um, oh. So yes, they have the capacity to have a computer and books and stuff, but there's some families that just can't afford to have that internet. Mm -hmm. And so the district is purchasing hotspots, but I mean, you just can't purchase enough hotspots to you know, accommodate every single kid in the district. Yeah, that's a lot. That's scary. I know I've noticed like some of that going around in LA. Um, and I want to say, I don't know if I sent you the post actually, but there is this one, I think it's like a community center. They opened it up to families. Like you can bring your kid and they're social distancing them, but they're allowing them to use pretty much like their Wi-Fi for free for it's like a typical school day come they're like, sorry, we can't provide them food, but you can let them bring their own snacks, but they can at least come and use the Wi-Fi. It's going on somewhere in LA, but I mean, I, that's a huge problem. Not You're right, not everybody has Wi-Fi or unlimited like data or anything like that. So it's crazy that they think, fam, like, oh, just work from home. Like, oh, It's not that easy for everyone. Well, and there's there's people like in our communities who can't even provide food for their their families. So basic needs of these children are not even getting met. The last thing that they're worried about is the internet. You know what I mean? Like they're worried about feeding them. Yeah. Are is your school doing like still like they can come pick up lunches or anything? Some schools are doing that. I don't know. Yeah. So um, our district is doing breakfast and lunch, and it's a grab and go. So they get breakfast and lunch in one bag every um, day. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, um, we actually have a free food market at our school that's provided through um, Espanol uh, something that, oh, Programa Espano. <laughs> that's what it's through. And they provide on Fridays, um, every Friday, there's a bag um, that they can pick up. And it has different fruits and vegetables and non-perishable things that the kid or that the families can come take. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. really um, so you're, you have the teacher side, <laughs> dealing with everything that's going on, but you also have two kids of your own. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of them is what preschool I guess preschool? yeah so how has it affected him and how do you feel being on the parenting side of that 
Well, um, I think since we've been home together since March, it has taken a huge toll on him socially. Mm-hmm. Um, he it was so used to being social and having friends and being able to do that. Um, and actually our preschool closed down due to COVID. So now I'm having to find a new um, place for him, which is also really hard because now not only did we take that social aspect of him and his friends away, now we're making him go and do this all over again in a new setting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's really struggling with um, the whole thing because he just wants to be with his friends. He wants to be with his teachers that he knows, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Did you see like changes? Because some people really like, I'm a sociologist, so I get the understanding of social interactions, what it means to life, how we need them. But there's some people that I still come across that I don't think realize how much social interactions are pretty critical to our mental health. Like, did you see any change of, like, behavior or anything from him? So when I was, when I was, um, (laughs) when I was, um, setting up play dates with him and like getting him to be, you know, socially distanced with friends, his behavior went from throwing tantrums and like that to he was back to himself. So I was trying to set up things with same people, right? Mm-hmm. Like trying to keep it nor like where we're still safe and like being with certain families. Um, but just giving him that time to be outside and play with another kid his age. He's over his sister. He's over her, you know, beating him up, even though she's the young one. Um, He's over it. And he just wanted to be, he just wants to go back. His big phrase right now is, I think that I'm going to invent some virus spray and we're just going to go spray it everywhere so this virus can go away. (laughs) Tell him if he does. (laughs) because <laughs> Nina wants it on it for you, for everybody that doesn't know her son is actually my godson so <laughs> she gets switch off of this <laughs> Nina wants it on it he's, he's ready for it I guess that monster spray that I say that I'm spraying oh. in his rooms is kind of wearing off onto virus spray <laughs> I like it I like it Has now your daughter's two do you see any effect on her you don't think she really knows what's going on other than you guys are just home with her every day yeah yeah i don't think she really gets it um she doesn't understand she just thinks that we're all just playing with her trying to feed her snacks just let's just (laughs) like interesting to talk to um josiah about like COVID. like did he ask questions like why because i know phoenix will say things that's my nephew um like when it first started and like the first time we got to see him I think we talked a little bit about it or something, but he said, yeah, everybody's sick outside. And so like, did you find, like he kind of, I guess they, obviously they talked to him a little bit about what's going on, but how did you talk to him? Or did you tell him or? Oh yeah, I'm a hundred percent transparent with my children. Um, I don't feel that um, keeping secrets or anything like that. I mean, obviously I, I, you know, layman it down for a four-year-old to understand 
But yeah, like I definitely said, the reasons why we have to wear masks and why we have to wash our hands and, you know, people are getting sick outside and we can't do our normal things because the virus is out there. And we were very transparent with him. We wanted him to know the reasons why. Um, And so he does ask a lot of questions and he does. um, And now he gets it. He says, oh, well, we can't go to that place because of the virus. And so he he's aware of what it is. And then he actually took it a step further and was like, can we watch YouTube videos on what germs are and what viruses are and why they do this for our bodies? And I'm like, okay. So we did a lot of like research that way and found like kid videos to like explain what that means. That's kind of cool though. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of mentioned like you having to find a daycare and then how do you think so I'm going to assume not everybody's parents are lucky enough to work from home, I shall say. So mm-hmm. some of these people have to go back to school. Like, how do you think parents are dealing with that? Because now they have to go back to work, but their kid has to go back to school, but school is now at home. Half of them don't have babysitters. Daycares are closing, some of them. Or full, and they won't allow kids in. I mean, I searched for three weeks. Um, yeah, it's a struggle. And uh, I'm going to tell you probably 95% of my parents, that is their biggest concern is we have to go back to work. We don't know how we're going to monitor this. We don't know how our kids are going to show up at a certain time to listen to their teachers when we're not here to monitor them or their grandparents are watching them and are not tech savvy. Um, you know, things like that, that are, it's reality. Like, that's a true thing. Like if I had my mom try to get Josiah to log on, like there'd be no way we would be 20 minutes into it. And she'd be like, Kylie, I need you to help me. <laughs> so I get it. Like I get it. But I do think that there is like an expectation that we want the kids to log on and we want the kids to be a part of it. But also too, we understand that it's not equitable. It's not equitable for, Um, these families. And so we're just trying to do our best that we can to even get them to engage a little bit. And I know that a lot of the teachers at my building, they're trying to see about flexing teachers hours to accommodate night time for, it's a union thing. And it's like, there's lots of logistics that go into it. But a lot of our teachers are like, maybe we don't work 830 to 3 or 730 to 330. Maybe it's that we change our schedules to accommodate a couple of hours in the, in the nighttime to help the parents that can't be home with their kids, you know? Not a bad idea. And then it would allow you guys to, if you had kids or families to be home during the day too. Yeah hit up both sides, but I get it. Definitely a union thing. So it's not just a like, okay, let's just change the schedule. Yeah. Um, is there any advice you would give to parents right now, either with dealing with their own kids or dealing with the online school or anything you would want to say on behalf of teachers? Like, just give us some slack. <laughs> <laughs> like we would love to have your kids here, right? But I think that the biggest advice that I would be is don't don't let it become a barrier between you and your kid. If it's going to be a power struggle, if it's going to be something that's going to like hinder your relationship with you and your kid, like figure out a way to be accommodating. You know what I mean? Like if it's six hours of school online and your kid wants to do two, like 
let it just happen for now and just explain to the teacher like look we're trying the best that we can but mental health is a big deal and right now they're you know they're struggling with this so we're gonna do this for right now and we're gonna build it up to get to where we can like i just think that that's the best that you can do is just try and if you're trying doesn't work like try something different um it's all it's all terrible for everybody right now but this is what we're living in and so we just got to make the best of it do you think um it might be a wise thing for schools to bring in more counselors right now just because mental health is such a big thing with this like i just thought about that when you said that that's why i was like i wonder if bringing in more counselors to have them my school we just hired in um half time so we have a full-time counselor here and then now we um, have a half-time counselor that's also um, going to be. So our district actually did hire um, a lot more, but the problem is now is that there's not enough counselors to fill the jobs because people either want to stay home or are nervous or, um, so it's like finding those positions that want to be filled. Um, yeah, it's just a crazy, a crazy time. The statistics of uh, child abuse now um has lessened i think by like i don't even know the actual number so i don't like want to say but it's significantly because um teachers and counselors and all of us are mandatory reporters and so now that kids are home with their parents or family members um the abuse isn't getting um it's not it's not getting called on and so um i think that kids returning to school we're gonna see a a huge um like Spike in cases. For sure. Um, Because we're going to, I mean, you're going to be able to detect it online, right? Regardless of if you're in person or not, like you're going to see that something is wrong. Yeah. I know. I heard that too. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's declining. And it's like, no, it's not declining. It's Mm -hmm. that your main like point of main point of contact person has been taken out and can no longer like try to intervene and report it. So now I mean, that was one thing that was really sad. Like when this first started, I remember reading about that. I'm like, dude, all those kids now, yep, like they're stuck in those homes, and who knows, like what's going on? Like it's really sad. But there, there's like nothing. No, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And like I have a student who has muscular dystrophy, and I was talking to his family yesterday, and she was saying that like his swimming therapy is not is like canceled, and it's just like, man, those type of things are so necessary for him to be able to still walk, and you know, like he's deteriorating every single day, and if those services aren't available for him, like the likelihood of him, you know, prolonging not being able to walk is. I mean, she was like, he's getting OT through Zoom, but I mean, what is that doing for him, you know? Because that now depends on the parents probably doing the exercise, but not saying that parents can't, but it's different when you take them to like a professional and that's their job as opposed to, yeah, right now you could tell me, go do this exercise with this. Like, okay, I can try my best, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Okay, so... To end this, most people don't know, I used to have a blog called FemPower and I would interview women um, about their positions in society. Um, I like to highlight local women. Um, So I wanted to merge this with this new podcast, The Brunch Talks, Um, but how I would end every interview and how I still want to end every interview is ask you 
what femme power means to you because you are a powerful woman in a position that not a lot of people can do. Ron, you're a teacher and you're a special ed teacher. So I've always looked at you as you do amazing things for the community and you do it with just a pure heart. So I want to know what femme power means to you. Um, I just think that it means taking ownership of being a proud woman and using your, like I'm using my tool as being a powerful woman <laughs> to, you know, make sure that I, I, I feel like it's so hard to like figure out like, what does this actually mean to you? But it's like, I don't know. I just feel I, I'm a person that t totally believes in fent feminism and I'm like I could do this you know <laughs> like I got this and so I feel like it's hard to relate in a position like to put it into teaching wise you know what I mean like I I feel like more femme power meaning for me is more personally than professionally yeah. like I feel, like I feel like my profession yeah like that's cool um I can be like a strong advocate woman advocate in my profession but I feel like my feminine my feminist side is more in my personal life and just making sure that I know what my worth is mm -hmm. and I know that I got this right like and I'm teaching my children like my son knows like don't mess with mama right like and don't mess with women and you don't you know because mm -hmm in all reality, like I got your back <laughs> and like, I'm raising Faithy to be a super strong, independent woman and not rely on anybody. Like she needs to know that she needs to grow up and she needs to be who she needs to be and be her own person. And don't let society take that away from you. Um, be a strong power girl. <laughs> I love it. Well, I just want to thank you for doing this interview. Um, you were probably going to be the first feature on this. How exciting. Yeah. Um, but yes, any closing remarks? Hashtag 2020 COVID sucks. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. <laughs> Thank you everyone for tuning in today. And trust me, I'm sure Carly will be back on some other topics that I want to share with her. Um, but yes, go ahead. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll be in contact soon. Yeah. Thanks.